Right, the Bible reading for today is from Matthew 3, 11 to 17. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fort is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came down from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil our righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love, With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. As we come to the message of God, will you pray with me? Father God, be present with us and surround us with the knowledge of your love. Jesus Christ, word of God, speak your truth through me so that my words might be not mine but yours. Spirit of God, move our hearts to accept your teaching and be changed, moulded into your new creation. Amen. Well, last Sunday I stood before you as we celebrated a new beginning, the new year of 2023. We worshipped God and we heard of the importance of letting him guide our path and the fact that his goodness, love and mercy follows us at all times. It was a fresh start, a fresh renewal of our faith in God. What many of you won't know is that the very next day, on Monday, I personally celebrated another new beginning. Well, celebrated is a a bit of a strong word. The date passed almost without my notice. But... In thinking and preparing for today's sermon, I became more and more aware of how important this day was. Now, my birthday is September 21st, 1993. I turned 29 three and a half months ago. I know that'll make some of you feel old and we're sorry about that. (laughs) But we celebrate our birthdays every year, don't we? The younger ones among us look forward to birthday parties and presents. For me, it's usually a bit of a quieter affair, going out to dinner with family, but it's still nice to get birthday wishes and have people sing happy birthday to you. It's a celebration of our birth, of our lives and all the good things we have. And we all have that. We all have a birthday. But for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ we have a second birthday, a celebration of our new birth, our new lives and all the good things we have in Christ. 
You see, on September 21st, 1993, I was born the first time. On January 2nd, 1994, I was born again. I was baptised. This is my certificate of baptism that I got 29 years ago this Monday last. Now, the text on it is way too small for everyone to see, so I'll just read it out loud. Certificate of Baptism, James Andrew Ross Naylor, now you all know my middle name, was baptised with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit on 2nd of January 1994 at Pilgrim Uniting Church, 12 Flinders Street, Adelaide, by J. Stuart Murray. And it's got his signature here. Now, this certificate is evidence of my belonging to Christ. It says on the back here, it's recognised by the Anglican, Catholic, Lutheran and Uniting Churches in Australia as saying that I've been baptised. You could say when I'm holding this that I'm literally a card-carrying Christian. But of course, the card doesn't mean very much on its own. Saying my baptism is all about getting writing on a card saying I've been baptised is saying that my life is all about my birth certificate. Now, what this marks was the beginning of something, the beginning of a journey that's taken me through 29 years so far and, God willing, hopefully a few more. And not only I, but everyone who believes. If you have been baptised, then you are on this journey too. And if you haven't been, then you have the opportunity to join in. And what exactly this journey is and why we take it and where we're going, that's what I'll be talking about this morning, starting with Jesus' own baptism by John in the Jordan, which Bob told us about a couple of minutes ago. Bob talked. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about what happens before baptism, what happens during baptism and what happens after. To understand what happened before baptism, we need to understand why people started getting baptised in the first place. Baptism didn't start as a church thing. It wasn't always simply how you become a Christian. And in fact, it predates Jesus' own ministry, given Jesus himself was baptised before he started. Where baptism started was with, who else? John the Baptist. Now, he might not have been the first to baptise people. There may have been a number of wandering Jewish preachers who did similar things. But John, of course, is the name we know. And the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 3, which we just heard part of earlier, talks about John's ministry and what he said leading into his baptism of Jesus. And the central message from verse 1 was this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? We use the word often in church, but it can be misunderstood. It means to turn away from sin and to turn to God instead. It means what we would describe in today's language as a change of heart. And why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because the king, God's Messiah, who the Jews at the time were hoping for and waiting for, was nearby watching them and would soon arrive and they needed to be ready. 
as John went on to say, the one who came after him would soon separate the wheat from the chaff, those who belonged to him and those who didn't. And even those who did come to be physically baptised weren't saved by that alone. In verse 7, John called out some of the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, who'd come to him under false pretenses. He called them a brood of vipers. His insults evidently were very visceral. But just the physical act of baptism, that wasn't enough. All who came to John first had to confess their sin and then they were baptised. See, before we are baptised, we are all in sin, far beyond anything we can atone for. We can try, but it isn't going to work. None of us can ever reach or live up to God's standards. We're not worthy of that. The only one who's ever been baptised who had no need of repentance was Jesus Christ himself. And in his case, John, John knew that and he tried to talk him out of it. We can probably understand his thinking as he said, I need to be baptised by you. What are you doing coming to me? But Jesus' response was, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. Jesus had no sin, but as John himself told his disciples, Jesus was the lamb who came to take away the sin of the world. He was destined to bear all of our sin on the cross. So it was right for him to repent of it in our place before starting his ministry. So no matter what form it takes, what context it's in, this repentance, this change of heart, this turning away from sin and towards God is crucial. It's required. It's indispensable. Without it, we can't even start this journey. So we've talked about what happens before baptism. What then happens during baptism? What is baptism exactly? And this can be a tricky question because even Christians can't agree on this. Some churches and denominations practice aspersion or the sprinkling of water. Some baptise by effusion, which is pouring water. Or, or of course, there's immersion, with someone being dipped in a body of water, like a pool or a river. Some churches baptise infants, babies, as I was at the age of three and a half months. Others only recognise baptism of those old enough to consciously choose it. Here at Golden Grove, we recognise all of these methods and contexts. The one scripture we follow, along with most Christians, is that you can only be baptised once. Even if someone deconverts and reconverts at a later stage, or even if a baptised infant never does proclaim faith in Christ in their life, that baptism still happened and it's still active. Something happens in baptism that can't be repeated and can't be undone. The common aspect of baptism, regardless of who does it, is of course water. Whether by a little bit of sprinkling or by full submersion in water, water touches the baptised. 
Now, in all human history, even up to today, when we voluntarily allow water to touch our skin, it's usually for a very simple reason, to clean us. I took a shower just this morning. I'm sure most of us bathe regularly, or at least wash our hands. I hope so, anyway. But this, of course, was even more significant in ancient times when they didn't have modern medicines and cleanliness often meant the difference between life and death. So washing was very physically important and it was spiritually important as well. It's believed that John and other baptizers were inspired by the ritual washing rites from the Old Testament law in books like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The idea being, if you are physically clean, then that's a symbol of your spiritual purity. That imagery also comes through in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Baptism is a change that happens between the old self, the sinful self that desperately needed to repent of sin, and the new self, justified and sanctified by God. It is taking what was dirty and making it clean. It is taking what was dead and making it alive. And it is entirely God's action. Not the baptised, not the baptizer, but God. John pointed out the difference between his own baptism, the one that he gave people, and the baptism that Jesus would give. John baptised with water for repentance. Jesus baptises with fire and with the Holy Spirit. In churches today, we use water, that's true. But we baptise, as Jesus commanded us, in the name of the Father, our Creator, who redeems us, and of the Son, our Saviour, who took on our sin and defeated death for us, and of the Holy Spirit, who is sent to us and fills us and works in us. So there is a lot more going on in baptism than just a bit of water. The water is just a symbol of the inner change that's going on inside. The washing, sanctifying and justifying of our souls being done by God himself who comes to us and says, this is my son or my daughter whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. Through God's grace, Jesus' sacrifice and the Holy Spirit's work, all who repent and are baptised receive this. The water dries off quickly, but the fire of the Holy Spirit lasts forever. What then? What comes after baptism? Well, we were sinners, we repented and were baptised and God has cleaned us, changed us, given us new life. 
So baptism is the first day of that new, clean, fresh life God has given us. And the question then is, what will we do with that life? As I said, my own journey began with my second birth 29 years ago. And in those 29 years, I've lived, I've loved, I've made the decision to turn to and follow Christ of my own accord, leading to my confirmation in this church when I was 19 years old. I've also made mistakes. I've sinned against God and against people. And this just goes to reaffirm the fact that my baptism was God's work and not mine. If baptism were my own work, I would always have to keep coming back to be baptised again and again and again every time I fall short of God's will and ways, like I do every day. But because it is God who baptised me, I can continue to fall on his grace, repent and continue in faith. For those here who have been baptised, Think on what your own journey has been. If you have followed Christ and relied on God's grace for all your adult life, then praise God for that. His baptism was at work in you. If you have had time since your baptism when you strayed far from God and he brought you back, then even when you were far away, his baptism was still there, an unquenchable baptism of fire. As soon as you became aware of your need for God and asked him, the work was already done. You were his. And even for anyone hearing this who's been baptised but yet doesn't know God or are questioning that baptism is something that God gave you that you can't get rid of and no one can take away from you. If you want it, that new life is yours. All yours. Of course, like I said, what we do with that life is important. I mentioned earlier what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about the Corinthians being washed and sanctified and justified by God. In the context of that whole chapter, what he was saying is, yes, you have been, and because of that, you shouldn't and can't go back to your old ways. In their case, they were arguing, suing each other, and being sexually immoral. And Paul was saying, you've been washed, don't go back to that. And even Jesus, straight after his baptism, we read the end of chapter 3, the start of chapter 4, is him going to the desert to be tempted by the devil. So this new life still involves choices between right and wrong, godly and ungodly, and those decisions still matter. This washing is a gift, and it can be rejected if we choose to run away and throw ourselves back in the mud. But when we choose right... That's when we're living the life God's baptism is intended to give us. The baptism that saw Jesus minister, heal the sick, forgive sins and rise from the dead. 
the baptism that saw his disciples spread the good news and baptise others in accordance with Jesus' command. The baptism that has seen many faithful Christians over 2,000 years do wonders in Jesus' name and pass their faith down to us. That same baptism we ourselves have. So to conclude, I want to pose a few questions to all of us. Firstly, to those here who have been baptised, who are on that journey, maybe that's been for a short time or a long time, either way, how are you living in light of your baptism? How clean is your life? And I don't mean showering. Are you choosing right over wrong? and purity over temptation? Are you trusting in the grace of God when you fail? Are there areas or habits or weaknesses you have that are keeping you from fully living that life? If so, remember that it's not too late to change track. In this life, it's never too late. And secondly, to the unbaptised, is this something you want? Do you want that washing and full renewal and dwelling of God's spirit within you? Do you want that baptism of fire that will change your life? Just last year, a long-time member of this congregation discovered he hadn't yet been baptised and decided he wanted to be. We watched and celebrated that as God's people. And it's open to anyone who chooses to repent from their sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ instead. Anyone. It's an easy choice to make. And don't get me wrong, it's not always an easy journey afterwards. But it starts with that first step. Baptism is a fresh start. It's being born a second time in a way that's even more important than the first. January 2nd was a more important day in my life than September 21st. It was the most important day of my life. The day my new life in Christ began. For all of us, those already baptised and those who haven't been yet, that new life is the best thing we could possibly have. Better than anything the world can offer us. So repent from your sin and turn to God. Be baptised, not just with water, but by Jesus, with fire and with God's spirit. And go into the world and live your baptism, because the kingdom of heaven is near and the king is coming soon. Amen.